I'm Kyle Rode, and this is the Rebel HR Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Rebel HR is a podcast for HR professionals who are ready to make some disruption in the world of work. Follow us online on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, rebelhumanresources.com, or follow me on Twitter at Rebel HR Guy. All right, welcome to the show, everybody. I am thrilled and excited to have my guest here today. Her name is Aaliyah Vasky. Aaliyah grew up in Manchester, Iowa, a bustling metropolis in uh, northeastern Iowa. She's currently a junior at the University of Northern Iowa, double majoring in business management with an emphasis in human resources and marketing. While at UNI, Aaliyah is the vice president of the UNI SHRM chapter and is also involved in Entrepreneurs Club. She has founded a startup named the Custom Bra Company, and she currently works for Jobs for America's Graduates as a marketing consultant. In her spare time, which is few and far between, I'm guessing, Leah loves to practice yoga, thrift shop, as well as build her personal and business websites. Leah, welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you could fit us into your schedule today. Thank you. I was super excited to be on the show. This is a first for me. I appreciate you, you being here today, and I'm excited for our listeners to hear your story uh, because you are, I, in my opinion, a, a very exceptional uh, individual and and clearly very driven and so I think we could learn a lot about your journey and your focus on uh, on the world of work as well as maybe give some of us HR professionals a little bit of insight into the younger generation. Why don't you just tell me a little bit about your journey? What brought you from Manchester to you and I and into the world of HR and entrepreneurship? Yeah, so. I would say that it all started in high school, which for me wasn't even that long ago. It was funny because I saw like one of the memories pop up on my Facebook a little while ago that said four years ago, and it was my picture in the paper after I had won Port Queen of my county, and it had my bio, and it said that I wanted to go to Iowa and be a dermatologist, and (laughs) that, that has changed extensively since then. Once I got involved into FBLA in high school, which is the Future Business Leaders of America, I kind of started to find what I really loved. And so there I started doing websites and just talking to other business people that are like-minded. And that's kind of how I decided to go into business. I was really involved in high school and pretty much every student organization that I could be in. And I loved holding leadership positions because I felt like I could really get close to my peers. And throughout that, I found that I have a passion for people and kind of figuring out what makes them tick and how I can use their talent to enhance whatever goal we're trying to do or enhance the organization that I was involved in. And I was telling my dad this one time, and I didn't even know that HR was a thing at this point, to be completely honest with you. He was like, wow, that sounds like HR. Like, you should look into HR. So then um, I joined a career learning link, which is something that my high school did with the college NICC, which was life-changing because you got to really test out career paths while in high school. So I really feel like it kind of catapulted me into my college career because I was able to you know, I did try the healthcare field and definitely found out that was not for me. But then I took an HR internship position at the hospital because I was still interested in that. And wow, that internship just really sold it for me. And I learned so much. And so then I found out, yes, this is what I'm passionate about. I um, went to college. And so now I'm studying HR and marketing. And the marketing is, I guess, a lot comes from my business. So I never really thought of myself as an entrepreneur, but I had this idea because I have this problem that I struggle with, which 65% of women do, that they have asymmetrical breasts. As a typical Gen Zer, I was like, why has no one tried to make a bra for women who have asymmetrical breasts? And so kind of what I learned throughout college and getting in the entrepreneur scene is that 
if you have a problem that hasn't been solved yet, that is a business. And if people will pay for it, it will be a successful business. I really got into, you know, the entrepreneurship club, like you said, Cedar Falls has an amazing entrepreneurship community. So there's the Red Cedar Project at the Mill Race co-working space, which I've been involved in. I've done some classes through there, which they have scholarships for. So I've gone through programs on, you know, how to be an entrepreneur. And also, you and I just had its early founders program over the summer, which is eight weeks of, again, learning how to be an entrepreneur. And that was also a scholarship. So it's really those opportunities that have um, made me a little more confident in starting a business. And like, yes, I can be an entrepreneur, you know, I can take my idea of a problem and put it into life. So that's, a little bit of my story. That's awesome. So I need to back up a minute. I didn't know that I was in the presence of royalty. You were the pork queen yes, in, I in was Manchester. The, yes, I was the pork queen of Delaware County and the fair princess. Wow. <laughs> and everyone thinks it's so funny when I say that. But yeah. That's awesome. And that honestly, should be the first thing in your bio. Yeah, I always have toyed with the idea because, you know, they say to put nothing on your resume after high school, but those are some of the most like things that I was so proud of in high school. So I do have the Fair Princess one on there, not the Poor Queen, though. (laughs) You got to put it on there. I should. I should. Uh, From my perspective, I say put it on there. That's my opinion. (laughs) It's, It's definitely a conversation starter, if anything. Absolutely. So so for the listeners that are outside of the state of Iowa, Pork queen probably doesn't sound like a compliment, but it actually is a really big deal, and it's it's a really big thing in in Iowa. So for those of our our listeners that are listening in Australia, which we have some listeners in Australia, we're just strange in in Iowa. <laughs> we but have we have them for everything. You know, there's a poultry queen, a dairy queen, all the livestock. There's a butter cow. Yeah, we, you know, we we go all in on our yeah. uh, on our animal references out here. Well, congratulations. All kidding aside, if anybody's listening to this, one of one of the tips that I tell anybody who's doing a resume, if you have something like that that is very unique that can start a conversation and can build rapport with your interviewer, I strongly recommend putting it on there. Uh, because that's something that the interviewer will remember after the interview, and it might actually give you an edge. I love your entrepreneurial spirit, and I think you hit the the nail on the head when you said, I saw a problem that needed solved. And isn't that just, that's what every entrepreneur that's successful does, right? And not only do they see the problem, it's like they're so passionate about this problem, you know? And so that's where all my passion comes from is I just want to solve this problem for all the other women out there who didn't even know that other, I mean, I didn't know that other women had this problem until I was 16 years old and I thought there's something wrong with me. So that's where the passion comes from. Congratulations. I'm sure whatever you do, I'm sure you're going to be successful, but um, I think that's just an insightful business to, to get into and something that I can tell you're passionate about and something that can truly help women right yeah exactly yep so it's been interesting and you know I kind of had to going through the entrepreneurship programs that you do the first thing that you do is validate that other people have this problem and I don't know if you've ever been on reddit but it is like really interesting so I just recently made a reddit for women who have asymmetrical breasts and I think I have like 300 people on there which compared to other reddit subreddits or whatever you call them that's not a ton but I mean it's only been up for a week so yeah we've had lots of interesting conversations on there about all of our struggles with this but anything that you have like any problem that you can think of just do a reddit search like someone's definitely talked about it before wait so you had so 300 in a week yeah wow well I think you've tapped into something that's definitely a need Right, and it's a niche market, so yeah. I guess 300. Yeah, so tell, so you mentioned um, a, a few things that I think might be really interesting for our listeners to hear about. You mentioned the organization Red Cedar. 
I did the co-starters program, okay, which is a new thing that they're doing. I think I was the second, what we call cohort in the winter time. And actually it was Disrupt HR that got me connected to this um, co-starters program. That was a really interesting experience. I think that one was 10 weeks. So tell me a little bit about what, what that program looked like and how it helped you achieve your goal. Yeah, so really it went through like all the different pieces that you have to think about when starting your business. So like I said, the first piece was kind of validating your idea, doing customer discovery interviews, making sure that people also have this problem, that you're solving it the way that they want it to be solved and that will work for them. And also that they would be able to pay for or willing to pay for this problem. And then as we went on, we kind of talked about, you know, more of the nitty gritty things. Like we had accountants come in. We had marketing people come in. So that was what was really where the money was for me doing this program was that people from the community came in. You know, we had lawyers, accountants, like I said, these professionals came and talked about all those different aspects. Because when you're doing a startup, it's really you and you have to worry about all of those pieces and be good at all those things. And I think for me, um, someone said this before, they were like, college is the perfect time to start a business. And I kind of thought that was crazy because we're all broke, but really it is because I'm learning, you know, all these different classes I've been through accounting, you know, it's fresh in my mind. So as I'm working on my business, I can really apply that to my classes. And I think that also really boosts my success in academically in school, because I'm a person who needs to apply my schoolwork to my life. And so that's really helped me to start a business while learning about business. I wish I had done something like that. I took the scenic route through college, but I, I did the typical, you know, get a degree, get a job, wait till you earn enough. And then, you know, and then maybe you know, try to do your own thing. And, um, but looking back now, uh, many years removed from college, gosh, I wish I would have, I wish I would have jumped into it and learned. And you know what the worst case scenario would have been for me is I would have graduated college with some debt, which I already had, and I would have gone to work after college. Like it, it would have been the same outcome, <laughs> but I would have learned exactly. so much. <laughs> exactly. That's what people yeah. say about the debt thing. They're like, you're already taking out loans. Why not yeah, what's take another, out some more? <laughs> another couple, 10 grand or whatever. That's an interesting approach is to, to think about starting a business. So from your perspective as, a, as an entrepreneur who's on her way to success, still pursuing a college degree, wh- where does the world of work fit for you? Do you see yourself going into a more traditional job after graduation? Do you see yourself, you got the entrepreneurial bug and you're going to just start businesses and build them and then move on and sell them and become, you know, kind of a serial entrepreneur? Where do you see your your path going? So what I would like is to start my business, get it off the ground, sell it, and then have an HR job. That's kind of my dream because You know, there's two different kinds of entrepreneurs. There's the ones who really want to run the business for the rest of their life. And then there's the others who kind of, like you said, they're serial entrepreneurs, but I wouldn't necessarily consider myself that. It's just I'm so passionate about getting this problem solved. And I feel like once I do it, it will, you know, be kind of like a check it off my bucket list, check it off the things that I want to do in my life and then I can sell it. And another thing that I've always wanted to do though was hold an HR job or hold a marketing job. So I feel like I really want both and whether I'll do that or not, you know, time will tell, but that would be the ideal route for me. So it's not an either or for you. It's a, it's an opportunity to learn, do something you're passionate about so that you can go do something else that you're passionate about as well. Exactly. And yeah, like you said, an opportunity to learn. And what what I've learned through this whole thing is whether my business or anyone's business is successful or not, you learn so much just going through the process. And so I don't think I'll ever consider it a loss, even if it, you know, doesn't take off. It's just something that I have to do. You know, it's just one of those things like this is a life goal and I have to do it before I can focus on something else. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I love I love that story. So I can tell you are a um, 
obviously a very passionate person. Um, I'm curious to understand a little bit more about your your values, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do this in the context of generational diversity. So, um, you know, obviously you hear a lot in the business world about millennials and Gen X, and you are you are technically, if I were to label you, um, which I don't necessarily like, you would be a Gen Z. It's it's fascinating to me to see all these articles about people who don't understand other generations or they perceive other generations as uh, worse than them or different than them and that's a negative thing and to me every time I every time I see this stuff it, to me it just reminds me of the people who are like oh kids these days you know and we've been saying it for millennia right like every every generation thinks that kids these days are doomed right <laughs> But I do want to dive into that a little bit because I, the one thing that I think is an important context is the context of the way that you grew up in your environment, always had the internet. I didn't. Social media was always around for you when you were in, I'm assuming, probably elementary and middle school. In the context of your value set and your generation, what, what do you consider some of those values for the company that you work for or the school that you go to, what do you look for in an organization as it relates to the values that they represent? Yeah. So after just talking about, you know, the entrepreneur community, I just have to add that all of my peers who go through these programs with me and things are constantly, constantly talking about things like sustainability, fair trade, um, you know, better labor laws, all of those things, which I think is really important because, you know, you do label me, but I feel like I do fit into a lot of the things that Gen Z stands for, especially with values. You know, we want to change the world to be better. And I think that we're discovering some of these things that just can't go on. You know, we're going to have to live in this world the next 50 years. And if the same practices do keep going on, going to be a disaster. So I think that's where a lot of my values come from is just the reality of it that if we do not change something, then it's just not going to work for us in the future. And I don't know if this is the mindset of older generations or just that they have been doing these things for so long and maybe don't notice. But some people my age think that, oh, well, the boomers don't care about the environment because they're not going to have to live in 50 years when it's going to be a disaster, which I don't really know if I agree with that mindset. I think it's just that that's all they've known. And once these practices came about, then they just kept doing them. But I would say that my peers and I are really, we love change and we want to make the change. And in order for change to happen, we have to push others to change as well. And so that's where a lot of the value structure comes from. And for me, I definitely think about those things as well. You know, um, I have a partner whose name is Jennifer Moe. She just um, graduated from the textile and apparel uh, industry at UNI. And she is brilliant with sustainability. Like we are talking about dyeing my bras with coffee grounds, you know, using sustainable fabrics, all of these things, you know, people, what I am doing right now to make my prototypes is people have donated bras to me that either got chewed up by their dog, wires are popping out, but you know, it's those, that recycling and also cheaper, if we're being honest. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's those things that, you know, I do think about those things and value those things. But I think we're trying, what's really hard is to find a balance because a lot of times, you know, sustainable fabrics are more expensive and things like that. And I um, have had those conversations with a lot of my peers as well. But we believe that it is our moral, I don't know, our moral right or whatever you want to call it to pay a little bit more for those, you know, things that are going to make the world better later on. And we really want to have our customers adopt that mindset someday that, oh, you might be paying a little more for this, but, you know, it wasn't made by a child making 150 an hour. And so, we think about that every time we buy things. And I don't know if my parents or whoever do because my mom's always looking for, you know, the cheapest thing. But you have to think, 
we think a lot about why is that cheap? And really, I don't know, every time I go to the grocery store or buy clothes, I think, hmm, it's cheap, but why, you know, and I'll do a Google search. And I feel like we've just been discovering things. And that makes us think a little deeper about how the economy is laid out and how we're making our purchases. So the same would go for a company, you know, when we um, go into the workforce, which is not very far off, we're going to want our company to be really honest about those values. I'll tell you right now, if a company kind of says that they are and doesn't walk the walk, we will discover that very quickly. I heard that on a different podcast that we want companies to walk the walk of what they preach. And, and if they don't advertise anything about it, we're probably going to ask. So that's a little interesting piece about that. You know, I know a lot of these companies have these social responsibility pledges and, you know, these corporate pledges on their website. Would you even consider a company that didn't have that on their website? I would consider them, but it would definitely be something that I would ask about. Like I said, we want to make change. So for me, as an entrepreneur, I would love to go into that company and challenge them on that and try to change it with that, depending on what position I was, you know, in, which I'm kind of doing that in JAG right now, not to say that they didn't have any of those statements, but like, I've been using SHRM resources that say, oh, like, here's the new LGBTQ rights. I don't know if you saw that, but I'm like, hmm, like, maybe we should update our training things and that, which, from my experience, I've gotten a really good response from that. You know, it's kind of like a win-win situation. Companies know that this is the change that needs to happen. And if I'm willing to do it, they're willing to be on board with that. But if I think that in the interview process or whatever, that would be a really important question for me to ask. Like if I wanted something to change and I volunteered myself to do it and put in the work, like, would you go with me on that? And I think that a lot of my peers would feel the same way. That's fascinating. Yeah. I'll never forget that the first time somebody asked me about our corporation's social accountability, I'll be honest, I was, I was kind of confused. <laughs> I was like, I don't really know how to how to answer this question because at the time we didn't it wasn't a focus for us and this has been a few years back. You know, but quickly we realized, wow, this is actually the market is asking us to do this and to put to part of our employment experience, uh, we need to make sure that we address these these issues and that prompted me to get more involved in inclusion and equity work. And, and that sort of thing. So I'm glad you brought up the LGBTQ um, updates and, and what you're referring to is the, the Supreme Court, including LGBTQ as a protected class, which is, you know, a, a great step forward and many, many years behind, in my opinion. I, I do want to read off some statistics that lay out that case, and then I'd, I'd like to get your reaction, Aaliyah. So if you look on a, at a generational level and you take a look at survey data, so millennials, about 43% of us identify as non-white versus Gen Z, about 49% identify as non-white, which is, you know, the demographics are shifting in our country. I think we, we all are aware of that. The thing that is interesting is that if you look at both of those generations, we all believe that our company should support something related to social responsibility. Um, and in fact, 75% of millennials would actually take a pay cut to work for a socially responsible company. So if you if you don't do that for any other reason other than you can pay people less, business owners, <laughs> there's a business case for you. And 64% of millennials won't even take a job if an employer doesn't have good corporate responsibility practices. The thing that struck me in the data for Gen Z really related to equality so 72% of Gen Z in this survey believe that racial equality is the most important issue we face today. Uh, this survey was done before George Floyd and some of the recent social issues that have uh, plagued our country. I would anticipate that number is probably higher. And 36% say equality is the most important cause they want their employer to support. So what, what's your reaction to those numbers? Do they ring true for you? Um, I would say yes. Equality is very important to me, especially what you said with the racial equality. 
And I think a lot of that attributes to our education. And, you know, I can't speak for what everyone else has gone through as far as education, but you know, as well as I do, that we had the internet at our fingertips at all times. We were able to kind of challenge some of the things that we learn in elementary school. So now social media and things are putting those things out there like, here is the systemic racism that has gone on in our country for how long? And so we're learning about those things. I took a class at UNI that talked all about, you know, it was called American Racial and Ethnic Minorities. And I learned that pretty much all that I learned throughout high school kind of shadowed these things. And so I feel like that just drives us more to this inequality conversation because I feel like people kind of had the mindset of, oh, people do this to themselves when it talks about race. But really what's happened is that this is, the system has completely made our races unequal. And we, like I said, we want change. We want the world to be a better place. So I think we really do take the responsibility of reversing what has happened in history and we also take the responsibility of learning what has happened in history very seriously. One of the really interesting things you said is the fact that you had the internet available and you didn't have to rely on somebody to give you the information. If you wanted to learn something, you could just type it into a search bar and then you have millions of results. Many people my age, we didn't have that until later in our lives. I think that's a really challenging thing for some of the some of the leaders that I talk to that used to be relied on to provide instruction and information. And when they have somebody come in that necessarily doesn't agree with them or doesn't agree with the way that they want them to do something, there's a lot of natural conflict that bubbles up from that. It's a completely different way that we've grown up. When I did a research paper, I went online and I researched these things. And some people might argue with me on this, but I think that on the internet, you get a lot of different point of views. Whereas, you know, when you're reading from a textbook, it was written by a handful of people that are probably, you know, pushing among the same demographic. So that's one thing that I think is interesting, but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily like I have any bad feelings towards or older generations or anything like that. I think I understand completely where they have those views. And I try to relate to that. And I think it's a lot of, I personally think it's a lot of miseducation. And so whenever I talk to, you know, my parents about these things, I always, you know, education is first, pulling out statistics, pulling out things that I learned that have happened over the years that have been covered up, you know, I'm so glad that companies like Netflix are, you know, making these documentaries and things because I'm like, mom and dad, you want to watch a movie about slavery so we can learn some things? Like, I think that that's what I try to do the most. I don't think I really get into arguments. I think that my goal, whenever that conversation is happening, is to try to educate them about what I've learned. Because I think that all of my point of views comes to the things that I've learned. Race is definitely uh, one area that, you know, you have a, a different perspective, maybe a broader perspective than many people. What's your perspective on st financial stability and, and some of the things that we're seeing in the economy right now? Yeah, so it was interesting when you were reading off the stats earlier about how millennials would be willing to take a job, I think you said, with less pay if they're more socially responsible. And I think that socially being socially responsible is really important to Gen Z, but so is money. You know, salary is the number one thing that I found in my study for the Disrupt HR speech that they care about, number one. So especially now, it's because of the 2008 recession that is the where people think that Gen Z got this mindset of, oh, I need to make good money. And we also don't like uncertainty. We want to be set for life. You know, we want a good job. We want that income coming in. And so I think that on top of that, all of this COVID things with the state that our economy is being in because of the pandemic, as Gen Zers, we're getting jobs and, you know, entering into the workforce right now. And 
what I've seen is a ton of resiliency. And I think you were talking about this in a few episodes ago, but, you know, never giving up on that job search. And I was in that position, you know, a lot of us lost our internships once this happened because companies were like, well, you know, what can we, where can we save money? And that was one of the places. So, you know, we were all thrown into the job search as well as the people who just graduated. And, you know, I, I was really impressed to see like in the middle, you know, mid July that people were still hunting out these summer internships and things like that. So a couple months later, after school stops, you're not giving up. Other things would be like just doing whatever they can, you know, getting whatever the job they can, being on the front lines. They don't care as long as they're, you know, making money. So it's really interesting that you brought that up because salary piece is really important to us. And I've seen that more prevalent as COVID comes along just because the hustle culture is incredible among my generation and seeing my friends get jobs on the front lines, you know, work at fast food restaurants, whatever they can do to make some money. What was your perspective on 2008 and how do you feel like that shaped your view towards compensation? Yeah, and that's something that I was actually going to touch on because I personally didn't really feel a change happen within the 2008 recession. It didn't really affect my family. You know, I grew up on the family farm. My grandpa handed it down to my dad. So I can't say that I really felt the effects or my parents just kind of, um, I don't know, chugged along and didn't really express a lot of concern to us as kids. But I think I definitely see that among my friends now. When I look back at that time, a lot of my friends were going through lots of change. And I'm like, oh, that might have been why that happened. And so I think although I wasn't personally affected, just growing up around my peers that were, I think that I adopted a lot of their, you know, concerns within the money. And I think that's true for a lot of people. You know, the way that you can stereotype generations and the way that they do this research is because we've grown up around each other. So we've had the same conversations and talked about these things all those years. And so now that I'm in college and going to be in the workforce, my peers are really concerned about salary. And that's just the speculation is because it was from the 2008 recession. And I thought of that and I was like, well, I didn't really feel like I was affected by that. But hearing my peers worried about salary so much makes me that much more worried about their salary. COVID impacted all of us in in some way. It's it was so unfortunate to see the number of people who have lost jobs as well as internships. Um, you know, new college graduates and people that need an internship to graduate and now they don't have one. I would second the comment that you made. If if you are a college student and you are looking for for something, don't give up. And I think the other the other comment that I would say to anybody who's graduating college is, companies are also looking for ways to continue to become more efficient, more effective more nimble and integrate more technology into their organizations in order to foster that. And guess who can help companies do that? That's our specialty. (laughs) Exactly. As you think about those traits and don't discount the skills that you could bring to the table, uh, but you just need to find the right opportunity. And sometimes it's it's as much a timing issue as it is, you know, a hustle issue. So, so don't give up, encourage you to continue to build connections. I was telling a story about I had a, uh, an interaction with a college student uh, at, a, at a career fair a few years ago. And um, through the course of the conversation, top talent individual, really good skill set, but I didn't have anything at my company. It just didn't fit at the time. I didn't have the available opening, but I had the, I had the resume, right? And I knew I had somebody special here. So I held on to it. Uh, sure enough, one of my HR peers had a need for that type of an individual connection made, right? And so those little connections, they do pay off. So put yourself out there. Keep trying. Don't lose hope. It's not a hopeless world. Not at all. All right. So let's talk a little bit about labels. Okay. Which Because I, I think 
myself, I am technically, I'm a millennial. And if you talk to other millennials, I'm an old millennial. <laughs> so there's even like labels within generations. If you read all of the descriptors for what millennials are, and then you read the descriptors for baby boomers and Gen X and Gen Z, as I look at those, I kind of view those like a horoscope. It all can apply to you in certain circumstances. And my perspective is that the way that we like to label and categorize people doesn't necessarily help move inclusion forward. It doesn't necessarily help our organizations move forward. When someone tells you, oh, you're Gen Z, how does that make you feel? How do, how do you feel about that label? It definitely depends on the context that they're saying it in. You know, there's sometimes like if I'm, I don't know, talking about a race conversation or whatever, and then someone says, oh, you're Gen Z. I feel like to me and a lot of my friends and peers, we'd be like, uh, yeah, but don't you think that this is just a human issue that we should all be concerned about? You know, things like that. Or rather it's, you know, oh, you're like great at making change or whatever. And then someone says that's cause, probably because you're a Gen Z or, you know, there's definitely negative and kind of positive connotations that are associated with the label. So I don't know. But what really makes me mad is when people call me a millennial. <laughs> and it's, it's just because it's like, get your facts straight, you know, like, they're so different. They're so different. My sister is a millennial. And I mean, we are super different. So I don't know. It's like, it doesn't make me mad. I shouldn't say that. It's just like, frustrated, because I don't I feel like I'm not, I don't have a lot of qualities that a millennial has at all. So, and I think that the since Gen Z is kind of a newer generation, you know, it's 19, well, there's some different opinions on this, but like 1996 and to like 2012 is supposed to be Gen Z. So that's a pretty new generation. So I think that we're still kind of being lumped into the millennials, which I understand. But I also feel at the same time that we are very different. I'm going to quote that. That's that is definitely quotable. I hate being called a millennial. <laughs> It's not because I think millennials are bad, and I I really don't think that. It's just that I'm so different from them. Like, you know, just learn what Gen Z is all about, too. I love that. I think millennials is just, it's just taken on a life of its own now. It's just, it's just the new, like, you want to blame another generation for something. It's more about blaming something that happened on a characteristic of somebody versus actually understanding the events that led up to that, uh, which is actually a form of bias. And incredibly um, unfair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, when, when people people complain to me all the time, I, I hear it all the time. If you're going into HR, if you're in HR, um, you know, I should put out a poll that says, how many times have you heard the mo word millennial uttered in your office blaming somebody for something, right? It's, oh, it's these millennials. When somebody brings that up to me, my response at this point is, oh, you mean those 30-somethings with like three kids and a, and a mortgage and a full-time job? Because <laughs> they're, the, they're not a generation right now starting punk rock bands and spray painting anarchy symbols on the, on the side of a house. That's not what millennials are doing now. They're, they're just trying to make mortgages payments meet. <laughs> exactly. <So. laughs> and for, for my generation, we're always like, oh, the boomers, like – Dang you, boomers. And it's funny because I think that you're, I, you're, you said you're an older millennial, but I think that actually Gen X gets really herded into the boomer generation <laughs> when we when we are blaming things on different generations. But yeah, like you said, it's very situational. And I think that it's important for everyone to kind of brush up on what characteristics are actually attributed to a generation and that research is all based on what happened during their formative years. Like I said, our, what happened during our formative years is that 2008 recession. So I think that if you do a little bit of that um, research, you'd be interested to see what characteristics actually are associated with each generation, which I have. What I think is the most valuable people, piece of paper that I've ever gotten in college. 
I got this at the Business 2000, which is the professional readiness program that we do at UNI. And it, a generational um, researcher came in and talked to us all about the generational perspective and what they look for in an employee. So we have the traditionalists, you know, what values they look for, baby boomers, generation X. So that was so when we go into an interview, if we know the age of the HR person or interviewee that is going to be interviewing us, we can take whatever characteristics they really value and pull that out of ourselves and make those talking points. Was that an HR class or a marketing class? It was the professional readiness program that everyone has to go through. Yep. All the business students have to go through that at UNI, but I loved that class. I don't know. I thought that was super valuable information. So they're teaching you how to be inauthentic with your interviewers. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that. It's like. Sorry, that's my cynical view. (laughs) No, it's okay. It's like, okay, so traditionalists value hard work. You know, what what opportunity have I had in my life that I can talk about in the interview? So, you know, if I had a traditionalist interviewing me, I would talk about how I grew up on a farm, you know, all that hard work, which is true, you know? So I don't know. It's really just about knowing the market, I guess. But none of it's lies. It's just picking out what's the best thing to talk about. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Of course, that that's that's fascinating. I never had I never had any sort of classes like that, but it makes perfect sense. I mean, it's it's the same theory uh, behind body language. So I don't know if you've done any um, courses on interview techniques, but you know, one of the interview techniques is if your if your interviewer is relaxed and sitting back in their chair with their feet up, sit back in your chair and relax. Don't don't sit there stiffly. If your interviewer is sitting there with their hands on their desk in an extremely rigid posture then match their posture and and the the idea is that you're making them more comfortable because of the halo effect and that they are seeing that you're like them so they like you more it's interesting they're doing that in the context of generational differences i could see how that's important i mean i when i did my first generational differences training about 10 years ago it was on millennials and it was it was kind of ironic because I was a millennial teaching the course to a bunch of Gen X and, and baby boomers, literally no millennial uh, leadership uh, <laughs> employees in this group. <laughs> and so I put this together and I and I showed it to my intern at the time and I said, hey, does this make sense to you? And she she read it and she looked and she had this blank look on her face and she was like, is this really what they think about me? <laughs> it. But it was it was it was a revelatory moment for her because she she was just a, a just completely positive person and didn't think that anybody would have anything negative to think about her because of her age or because of any characteristic that she had by no fault of her own right and um, so I felt a little bit bad that I I kind of burst her bubble because she was such a sweet person but. It was it was an interesting moment for me, um, and I do think it it highlights the importance of being aware. In the context of human resources, if I look at a lot of like the the conflicts in the workplace, I think a lot of times it it, it comes from a lack of awareness or lack of empathy and understanding about others' perspectives, which I think is essentially the same thing that they're teaching you as it relates to your interviewers. Yeah, and what's really What I was going to say along with that is on the flip side, I feel like it's very important for people like you who are HR professionals that are interviewing people to have, you know, different generations on your panel that's listening to the person being interviewed so that you don't, you know, get into your own ways and into your own bias. And because I think that people from different generations like this piece of paper proves, you know, pick out all the important things of a person instead of just kind of focusing on people like you. And that's something that comes up a lot in the HR world is, oh, it's nice to hire someone like you. And like you just said, the halo effect, you know, people who are doing it, what you're doing, but is that what your organization needs? And so that's where I think that's really important is to have that diversity within the interview process. 
Absolutely. I agree 100%. I think there's such a risk when a company tries to hire somebody for a culture fit or you hear things from an interviewer like, I just don't think, I don't think they'll fit in here or, yeah, I just don't know how the team's going to interact with this person. A lot of times that's that's unconscious speak for they're not like me and I don't know how this will work. But that person might be a culture builder, right? Exactly. They might be a disruptor and that might be the X factor that gets you this many more sales or this much better process or helps transform your organization into one that can be successful post COVID. Right. So yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I think that's a critical, critical point. I've had that within jobs that I've applied for. You know, I had one job say that I was turned down because I'm have too much of an entrepreneur mindset and they didn't think that that would fit within their organization, which may be true. They didn't think that it would be good for me and vice versa. You know, they didn't think that the culture would fit, but then it's like, okay, well, if you're not hiring people with an entrepreneur mindset, you know, is change going to happen? Because I feel like, like I said earlier, I feel like when I go into a company and I have this entrepreneur mindset, it's, really identifying the problems within the company and then wanting to solve them, just like I do with my own business. So I don't know. I just think all of that stuff is super interesting. You'll see that as you get into your, your HR career. And you, and one thing that you're going to find is that HR people are just like everybody else. We all have our implicit biases. Some of us are, are afraid of change. Some of us are stuck in doing the ways, things the way that we did many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the other thing, one of the, my, my biggest frustrations with HR is that there's 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 always too much bureaucracy for my taste. I, I just hate bureaucracy, you know, processes for the sake of processes. While those are critical and important for a number of reasons in certain aspects of HR, as we're talking about culture and engagement and recruiting and teamwork and collaboration and all these things that are truly business altering uh, there's there's no black and white formula that can help you get there. There's no process that's going to help you get there. It's it's all about that. It's all about the team dynamics, and it's and it's about, in my opinion, it's about having an inclusive enough culture, so that you can truly collaborate to make the best decision possible for your business. McKinsey Research says gender diverse companies are 15% more likely to outperform their peers. Ethnically diverse companies are 35% more likely to do the same. Catalyst research shows that companies with more women on their board statistically outperform their peers over a long period of time. And Deloitte Australia research shows that inclusive teams outperform their peers by 80% in team-based assessments. Yep. So the numbers back the the theory, right? Yes. And at the end of the day, it's just the right thing to do. Totally. (laughs) I mean, it's just, you know, that's what I love about – that's one of the things I love about HR is we are – you know, our jobs make the company better. Mm-hmm. And if we do it the right way, we can make the company more inclusive. We can make the company more fun. We can make people happier. We can make people more engaged. We can do more with less. That's the fun part for me. It reminds me of what you guys are talking about on your diversity podcast with companies always trying to just check a box. Yeah, and. Yeah. It's so important to, you know, don't just check the boxes, don't just go through the processes, go through the motions, you know, really think and, um, I don't know, think beyond the check boxes. That's all. Think beyond the check boxes. I love that. I love that. Outside the box, beyond the check boxes. You got all all these great quotes. (laughs) I'm just going to, I'm going to start like a, um, you know, inspirational quote, a, a Vasky quote. I told you I wouldn't haven't put any gotcha questions out there. But I do, I do have to ask this one, and this one is, you know, Barbara Walters would be proud of this question. So, why don't you like dogs or Taylor Swift? You saw my Twitter. <laughs> that is so cheating. Okay, so <laughs> dogs. Well, it's not that I don't 
I guess I shouldn't say I don't like them. It's just that I grew up on a farm and we've always just had farm dogs and they always just kind of did their thing. I'm also a clean freak. So dog hair, dog slobber, dog anything. No, no, no. I've been completely raised, no pets in the house, you know. So I feel like that's kind of where my dislike from dogs come. They're dirty and they smell and I'm a clean freak. Um, Taylor Swift, I... I mean, I think she's a cool person. I just don't necessarily like her music. That's all it is. It's really just my music taste. And I kind of liked her better when she was a country singer. And maybe it's a little bit of a disappointment for me that she kind of transferred over because I really enjoyed her music then. But, you know, if that's what she really wants to do, then, of course. But it's just kind of funny because... People always think, you know, oh, you're so basic. You like Starbucks and all these things. And then they hear that I don't like Taylor Swift or dogs. And I guess you left the part out of, out of my Twitter bio that says everything about me is basic. But then it says that. So a little more context. <laughs> I love it. I was going to ask, actually, legitimate question. So um, I'm a big fan of country music. Are you a country fan? Yes, I am. Okay, yeah. So I'm kind of in the same camp where... Like her country stuff was kind of cool, and I was a big fan. But I'm not a I'm not a big pop guy. I'm so. not necessarily anti-pop either. I just liked her better. And I don't know. I don't know why. I just thought that that was better. And then she changed so much, and I was like, why? <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we don't have time to go into what basic means, right? Like, I don't even. Really yeah, I guess I guess that's kind of a young Gen Z term. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's That's really just all show. about stereotypes of girls. And, yeah. Okay. Hey, there's our next. There's the next show. What What in the hell does basic mean? Yep. <laughs> I don't see. I don't think you're basic at all. Um, I think you're exceptional and and uh, really have have done some great things. Uh, and I see great things in your future. So really appreciate the time and the thoroughness and thoughtfulness that you put into this interview. Aliyah Vasky, everybody. Check her out on uh, on social media. If you're looking for uh, somebody to join your team upon graduation, I can guarantee you that she will move mountains for you and your organization. So thank you again, Aaliyah. I really appreciate you spending some time with us here today. Yeah, thank you, Kyle. It was super fun. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter, at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations.